Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. We'd like to thank Dockline Studios for uh, giving us this space and this opportunity. Today on the show, we have the Honorable Steve Toth, who's a state representative for House District 15 here in the Woodlands. Um, he's been in the House since 2013. He was elected, he was reelected in 2018 and 2020, and he's a member of the House Freedom Caucus and is also one of the top most conservatives. Uh, members of the Texas State House, according to Rice University's Mark P. Jones ranking by political ideology. He's number three. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Good to be with you, buddy. Thank you. All right. So in my opinion, um, I'm just one man, but in my opinion, you're, you are one of those conservative warriors out there on the front lines. And, you know, we, I just really appreciate all the hard work that you've done. Um, but in that comes a question. And I think a lot of people don't know or have maybe varying opinions on what this word means. For you, what is conservatism? Conservatism, what does that mean? Yeah. So, because, yeah, it's a great question because if Mitt Romney is an extreme conservative, right. what does it mean? And I'm not quite sure it has much of a meaning anymore. It really isn't. So I, I kind of call myself a conservatarian. <laughs> and um, I have conservative social values and when it comes to fiscal responsibility i look mm -hmm. more like a libertarian okay um here's a question for you okay uh the social studies teacher uh quizzing the uh, state rep what is the purpose of government the purpose of government is to protect our individual rights we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal they're endowed by god their creator with certain inalienable rights and among them is life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it goes on to say that governments are instituted among men for what reason? Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. For what reason, though? To, in order to protect these rights. Right, yes. exactly, uh -huh. exactly, right? And people just don't get that today. They think that government is a handout. They think that government is a slush fund. They think that government is this drawer that they can pull open from time to time to grab things out of. It's not the purpose of it. No, government is a uh, a fire that can very quickly burn down your house. Yeah, exactly. My, what I you know, I think about my grandfather when he came here in 1910. He came through Ellis Island, and he met Peter Fibison on the boat. Mm -hmm. They were both in steerage. Peter was from Switzerland. My de my grandfather was from Hungary, and they became fast friends on the ride over. Um, my my grandfather had this very evangelical way with him and mm -hmm. led Peter to Christ, and they became lifelong friends. That's amazing. And as soon as they got off the boat, Peter looked at it across the New York Harbor, and he saw these huge buildings, which are nothing compared to what they are today, right? Sure. And he looked at my grandfather. He said, Alex, do you ever think we'll have a building that big? And my grandfather slapped him on the back and said, bigger. <laughs> and every time I would see Peter, Peter would tell me that story. He'd say, Toth, Toth, which Toth are you? And he'd say, did I ever tell you about the time your grandfather and I came to America? And I'd be like, yeah, Peter, <laughs> like a thousand times. But I'd always say, no, Peter, tell me, you know, because he loved telling me that story. Sure. And, um, you know, all they had was this wild ambition right. to live free. They weren't expecting anything out of America other mm -hmm. than opportunity. And that's all they got. There wasn't welfare. There wasn't Social Security. Yeah. There were soup kitchens that were set up by churches. Mm -hmm. There were healthcare centers, hospitals set up by churches. Right. Government didn't do any of that stuff. They weren't involved in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I, in many respects, I wish we lived back then. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. We'll probably touch this uh, with some of the other categories that we're going to jump into later. But, you know, the... <laughs> The church has abdicated a lot of its responsibilities to the government, and the government in a lot of uh, ways you could say is, you know, especially in the hearts of the left, is becoming the religion, right? So <laughs> I agree. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Uh, we talked about those rights to life, to liberty, the property, safety, security, happiness. Uh, we're discussing natural law. What are your thoughts and feelings on natural law and republicanism and the principles of our founding? That's a great question. So I think there's a huge difference. There's a, a mammoth disparity between the way you and I look at government, the way you and I look at the, con, uh, the Constitution. Mm -hmm. I look at the Constitution 
And I, I, I have to say it's the greatest document that's ever been created mm -hmm. for the very simple reason that the average constitution worldwide in the history of man, in the history of nations, is like 17 years. Mm -hmm. Ours is going on 250. Why? Mm -hmm. And it's because the constitution acknowledges this self-evident truth mm -hmm. that our rights don't come from that piece of paper. Our rights don't come from government. They come from God. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And the greatest thing about it is that it's this, but while our rights come from God, the Constitution, and I think Scalise is one that said this, is that it's deader than a doornail. Mm -hmm. It's not living. Yes. It's not breathing. That's right. It's, it's not aspirational in any way, shape, or form. It's literal. Mm -hmm. It is literal. It's a contract. It is a contract mm -hmm. among men. And the third element to it is that it communicates the essence of it is that we have this personal responsibility mm -hmm. towards our God and towards each other. Yes. Right? And so Genesis 3, yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. And while I'm personally responsible for myself, I have responsibility to you. Sure. And it's like when my grandfather came here in 1910, right? He wasn't expecting the United States government to do anything for him, mm -hmm. but he never could have made it if, you know, with, you know, a few pennies in his pocket, if the church didn't help him in some way, shape or form. Right. If the church through feeding, you know, through feeding hungry people through, you know, you know, it's Matthew. It's the, the book of Matthew when it says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you bound up my wounds. When I was in prison, you came to me. Mm -hmm. And we have that responsibility towards one another. Government has no empathy. It doesn't care. Right. It's unfeeling. It, there's no sense of sympathy or empathy from it. It's a bureaucratic nightmare and mess. Right. That's our responsibility. And yet along the way, we said, no, nah, we don't want to do that anymore. Let's just pay our taxes. I paid my taxes, yeah. so it's government's responsibility to do that, which is silly. And it, it causes a lot of issues. Um, it gets us to where we're going, which is, I think, in a very dangerous place. You know, um, I have the benefit of, you know, being a historian. I'm able to look back. Um, right now, I'm teaching my students uh, ancient world history, so we're in ancient Greece. And there's so much to American society that's being lost, Um you know, when you talk to people on the street, uh, adults even, and you ask them simply, hey, do you have any rights? They're going to be like, well, yeah. Are, are your rights important? Well, of course they are. What's the definition of rights? Uh, things I can do, I guess. No, 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 no. Rights is a 2,500-year-old idea that comes originally from Greece, right? And it means, it's a Greek word, dikaiomata that which is morally just and correct. And, you know, when you go back and you really start looking at uh, Victor David Hansen's uh, most recent book that he wrote, um, The Dying Citizen, talks about this idea where you have, in ancient Greece, you have these city-states where, you know, what made them so prosperous is the fact that, you know, you have this middle class of people that... Each one of them has a 10-acre farm in which you can do whatever you want on that farm. If you want to plant olives over here and grapes over there, then fine. You know, you are, you know, the master of your own destiny when it comes to that. But then when Persia comes in to try to take it from you, you have not just, you know, obviously an obligation to your family to defend it yourself. You have an obligation to your neighbor to help him defend it, and he in turn is going to help you defend it. And, you know, when people come in, and try to take those rights from you, anytime they do that, they're morally wrong for trying to do that. Right, and, right. And uh, that's the concept. But it's it's wild. So the left today basically says anything that government could give to you, mm -hmm. they deem that to be a right. Mm -hmm. So you have a right to an Obama cell phone. Right. You have a right to um, have a roof over your head, even if you're not going to work. Mm-hmm. You have a right to put food in your stomach, even if you don't feel like getting up in the morning and holding a job. You have a right to transportation. I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous. It's so absolutely asinine ridiculous. Right. And then you lose your liberty because then government becomes your master. Right. 
right? The more government, and, and that's one of the things, you know, and whenever I sit down with kids, I, I have the opportunity to talk with young people, homeschool kids, public ed kids. And mm-hmm. the first thing I ask them is how much government do you want? A lot? Mm-hmm. Because the more you get, the less liberty you have. That's right. Yeah. Every time a law is passed and <laughs> you know this well, I'm sure. Anytime you guys pass a law there in Austin that affects the entire state of Texas, then something that I used to be able to do in in a lot of cases, now I can't do that. Yeah, so the founders believed that the Constitution was wholly weak and inept Mm -hmm. for anything other than a religious people. Why? Because they understood that personal responsibility meant that the only way we could live in check and live happy lives Mm -hmm. wasn't with the oversight of government, it was our own personal oversight, yes. right? And so today, we've got all these problems because as a people, we've turned our hearts away from God. Mm-hmm. And um, in many respects, we've become morally bankrupt. Yes. And mm-hmm. so we want government to take the place of that and fix everything. Mm-hmm. And we keep, you know, Republicans and Democrats, they come up with, come up with all these additional laws that we just need to put in place. And you're like, you have no idea when you do this what additional problems you're creating that we're going to have to come back two years later and create another law to fix. Yeah. It's just never ending, huh? But you have managed to do some good things. Uh, and there are some good laws that I think that you guys recently passed in this last sure. legislative session that I'd love to, to get into. Um, the heartbeat bill, I think, you know, that that's in the news right now. Again, the Supreme court shot right. down, uh, you know, the, the idea of picking it up and looking at it. And uh, I, I think that's a huge win for you guys. Man, it's just, it's a huge win for all of us. I think, I can't think of anything more repugnant and, and grotesque than the murder of an innocent life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, anywhere between 14, 18,000 babies have been saved as a result of the heartbeat bill that's since it was signed. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's an amazing piece of legislation that um, Jonathan Mitchell and Briscoe Kane came up with and uh, really thankful we had the opportunity to get it passed. That's awesome. You guys did an awesome job on that. And I'm so excited because, you know, that's the fundamental issue right there. Like, you know, life, liberty, and property is what Locke says, right? Um, you know, and it's not to take away from your property rights or, or the importance of your liberty. Those things are, of course, important and valuable. But, you know... If I pulled out a 45 right now and shot you in the head and murdered you, you know, you don't have liberty. You don't. You don't have property. You know, you lose. Those are all contingent upon whether or not you have a life. It starts with life, right? And here's the thing that really gets me is that we heard this said from the front microphone by Donna Howard, mm-hmm. State Representative Donna Howard, last session. She said, we get that it's a human life. We know that it's a human life. And, and we're just like, what? You're, you can admit that? Yet there's no sense. And this is it. This is the mental illness of liberalism right? right that others talk about, which is it causes cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Because you know it's a human life and you're willing to take it. Yeah. You're saying the mother's... The mother's... And Liberty. I can't call it right. Because yeah. she doesn't have that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mother's will. Right. Um, That's a good word for it. The mother's will makes that human life and its right to life subservient mm-hmm. to her wishes, her whims. It doesn't. It it doesn't. Yeah. When you look at it logically, um, you know, the best case I can think of in recent history, you know, maybe the, what was it, 20 years ago, the, yeah, the Scott Peterson was found guilty of murdering his wife, Lacey Peterson. Lacey and the baby, right? Right. And he got what charge? Double homicide. Right. But if Lacey Peterson wanted to go out and get a uh, an abortion, then that that's fine. You can't have that kind of, you know, contrary. It's, it's insane, right? And so the state of New York in the 86th legislative session, this would have been 2019, they decided that they were going to take abortion out of the penal code as it related to murder. And they're in such a hurry to get it done that they forgot about the fact that, well, what if a guy murders a pregnant woman? Yeah. Yeah. You can't have a life that you can't have the definition of life in a legal sense contingent right. upon whether or not the mother wants to keep the baby. Correct. That's insane. Constitutional carry. 
that was another huge win that a lot of us didn't think was actually going to happen. Um, and then you guys were able to pull it off. How did that happen? Yeah, the house worked really hard on that one. And um, I, I'll take my hat off to the Speaker of the House for getting it done. And then I'm going to take my hat off to the Lieutenant Governor, Dan mm -hmm. Patrick, because he didn't have the votes over in the Senate. Yeah. And he had to work the room hard. And um, he worked it hard and got it done. So I'm very thankful, very grateful. Brandon Creighton was just amazing. He's been, you know, Montgomery County is really blessed to have him. Yeah. In uh, Senate District 4, he's just, he's done an incredible job and um, very thankful that yeah. he got it done for us. We are all <clears throat> here uh, in Magnolia, sort of, uh, not n nothing against Senator uh, Betancourt, uh, but we are all very sad to be losing uh, Brandon as our, our state Yeah, senator. he's such a good guy. Yeah. But you're, you guys are going to love Uncle Paul, and that's how he goes. He goes by Uncle Paul. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to get him on the show here. Um Women's sports, that's another huge uh, thing that you guys were able to knock out. My gosh, what? I? It's crazy, right, Scott? Because you're like, this should be a no-brainer. Right. And maybe it, maybe it would have been a no-brainer five years ago. Yeah. You know, if they're trying, there's a reason they didn't try to do this five years ago. Right. Um, but thanks to social media, where we want, once had one clinic in the state of Texas that would transition a little girl into a little boy or a little boy into a little, little girl. We now have 50. Jeez. And um, even 60 Minutes did a story back in May, I think it was, mm -hmm. that highlighted this 20-year-old young woman who had top surgery. If, if you take a little girl into one of these clinics mm -hmm. in Austin, Texas, she has a six-month wait to lose her breasts. It's that big of a line. So a lot of this is just a result of, of social media in the, in, in the blow up about social media. But what, what's really crazy about it is that now you've got these little boys that want to compete in girls' sports. And there's a reason why a basketball in women's basketball is smaller mm -hmm. than a basketball in men's basketball. There's a reason why the diamond in softball is smaller than the diamond in baseball. There's a reason why the shot put is like 30% lighter right. in women's sports than men's. There's a reason why pretty much everything you can possibly imagine. Um, golf. Yeah. You know, ladies tees. Right. They can't hit it as far. They don't have the muscle mass. Of, of course. Guys have, guys have significantly more muscle mass. They have significantly denser bone structure. They have a significantly different cardiovascular system. And simply putting them on testosterone blockers doesn't get it done. Mm -mm. Make, may, you know, may keep you from shaving, <laughs> but it's not going to make you weaker. No. I mean, it's just it's insane. And I think it's endemic. And the reason I brought, brought this up is I think it's endemic to, uh, you know, what I'm going to jump into next, which is critical race theory, which is just a, a sort of a subcategory of just critical theory in general, right. which stems from Marxism. And what, you know, I don't even call them liberals anymore. There's very few liberals left. You know, maybe Joe Manchin, you know, Kristen Cinema, maybe. Um, but the rest of them are all what I would call leftists. They're Marxists. They are. And what they're seeking to do is they're seeking to tear down and burn down every single institution in America. Everything that it makes us stable as a body politic, they're attacking. That's why we got to let, you know, little boys who want to call themselves little girls become girls. You know, it's and it, it's insane. It's it's becoming really uh, problematic. Um, I have a, a quote here that we're going to put up on the uh, on on the screen here. Uh, this is from Mark Levin's American Marxism. Uh, critical theory draws heavily on Karl Marx's notion of ideology. Because the bourgeoisie controlled the means of production, Marx suggested, they controlled the culture. Consequently, the laws, beliefs, and morality of society reflected the interests of the bourgeoisie. And importantly, people were unaware that this was the case. In other words, capitalism created a situation where the interests of a particular group of people, those who controlled the society were made to appear to be universal truths and values, when in fact they were not. The founders of critical theory developed this notion by identifying the 
the distorting effects power had on society's beliefs and values. They believed they could achieve a more accurate picture of the world, and when people saw things as they, quote, really were, they would liberate themselves. Theory, they suggested, always serves the interests of certain people. Traditional theory, because it is uncritical towards power, automatically serves the powerful, while critical theory, because it unmasks these interests, serves the powerless. All theories political, they said, and by choosing critical theory over traditional theory, one chooses to challenge the status quo in accordance with Marx's famous statement. Philosophers have hitherto only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it. Right. But here's the thing. The point isn't just to change it. The point is to tear it down. Mm -hmm. Right? And yet they're very, very tight-lipped on, well, what comes after you tear it down? What's next? Right. And so critical theory came out of the Marx school. I'm sorry, came out of the Hamburg school, but it is Marxism. Right. And the thought was, through critical theory, we can turn turn the the um, classes on one another. Right. Except, what happened after World War II? Well, the, after World War II, there was this massive growth in mm -hmm. Western uh, democracies of of um, the, this thing called the middle class. Yes. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you've got this middle class that which is prosperous and. You know, chicken in every pot, car in every garage. Yep. Right. Uh huh. And they're doing well, and they're upwardly mobile, and they have this dream of prosperity and success, and yeah. they can breathe it, and they feel generation after generation that we're becoming, we're becoming more successful, mm -hmm. and we're enjoying a greater slice of prosperity and liberty within America, within. Yep. Germany, within England, within, you know, all these Western democracies. And so for the most part, critical theory just crapped out. Yeah. And so, okay, wh how else can we divide the culture? Right. Well, we can do it through race, right? And so critical race theory is to say you must critically find racism in everything mm -hmm. and anything. Yep. You walk into a store... And you're a person of color. I walk into the store. I'm white. The shopkeeper is in trouble. Because if he waits on me first, it's because I'm white. But if he waits on you first, therefore he's a racist because he wants you out of the store quickly. Mm -hmm. There yeah. is no win. Right. And so you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And we are raising a generation of children now. To, we're we're raising them to hate each other. Right. We're 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 raising children of color to believe that white kids hate you, white kids disparage you, white kids think nothing of you. Mm -hmm. Tell me that that is not just absolutely poisonous. Oh yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. And you yet, know, and yet, and yet, down this path we go. And the question is again: is what happens after it all comes to a crashing halt? What happens? What do you have? Well. You have Marxism, right? And that's all you've got, right? You, but um, this is not this is not going to end well. No, and in fact, you know, this is this is an important history lesson here. Um, every single revolution that took part or took place after the American Revolution has uh, uh, what it has in common is the political ideology was based on Rousseau and Marx and Hegel. Um, and I would note, every single one of them has failed. Um, the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution in 1917, the Cuban Revolution, the Chinese Revolution, uh, what we see going on in Venezuela today, all of it's based off of this, you know, just ridiculous Marxist ideology, and it utterly fails. The American Revolution, when you juxtapose it, was a conservative revolution. The American right. patriots were trying to preserve their way of life prior to 1763. Um, and so it, it's just completely the, the, the principles are based in natural law, which is just antithetical to everything that critical race theory is talking about. If it, we don't teach this. We need to teach this. I, I mean, I did my best when I was in public school to, to get this out there. Right. Um, 
but we don't teach natural law. We don't teach the political ideology of, of Locke and Sidney. Uh, and we need to in order to shine a light on this. We have a problem with race today. You know, when I was growing up in the 90s, as a kid in the 90s, we were getting way better on it. And, you know, I would think by the, by the 2000s, early 2000s, you know, I don't think we had a, a, a race problem in America. Yeah, I grew up in the 60s, mm-hmm. right? So the 60s was like the death throes of Jim Crow. Sure. You, you could turn on the news at night, and I would, you know, my dad would get home around 6 o'clock, and the first thing he'd do is he'd sit down at the dinner table, and we'd, we'd watch the nightly news mm-hmm. while we ate dinner together. Not the best family idea, if if you ask me. But that, you know, it's kind of the deal. I mean, right. he worked hard all day, and sure. one note was going on, and I'm with the TV, and I don't recommend it, by the way. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but we we would turn the news on, and you know, it was it was it was it was during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. too. So you'd see the Vietnam War, and you would see a lot of kids of color that were forced in to the draft, and yep. you'd see white kids. Where were they? Well, they were pro- they were they were protesting, yeah, on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Poor them, you know, they didn't have to go to war like right. a lot of kids of color did, disproportionately. Sure. And then you would see race riots, right, mm-hmm. on the news. You would see marches by Martin Luther King on the news, and those were the death throes of of Jim Crow. And so Martin Luther King had this dream that one day we would not judge each other by the color of our skin, but by the content of our heart. Right. Well, we're heading back towards that. We said that that segregation was wrong. Right. Yet segregation is making a strong comeback right now thanks to the left. That's right. Yeah. They're calling it affinity zones. How nice does that sound? Affinity zones. Seriously? Yeah. And we're in Atlanta, we had a, a, a mom of color say that she wanted her daughter put into another class right and the school administrator said well your husband's a teacher here so you could pick whatever class you want but we don't want your daughter in the class you want her in and she said why she said well because the kids are the wrong color in that class right she said wrong color she goes those are white kids ma'am we have your child in a in a in a in a classroom full of black children Mm -hmm. she's like no way i read about that yeah yeah and so you know she complained about it and she finally got her daughter into an all-white classroom right now if some cracker had tried to pull that off yeah it would be racist Uh uh-huh rightly so it would be racist of course it would be awful but you know if you're doing it in the name of critical race theory then it's it's cool. It's totally good, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is how evil this generation has become. And they'll say, well, we're not teaching critical race theory. No, so yes, critical race theory is a legal construct. And so yes, it's taught on college campuses. And while yes, maybe the curriculum per se of critical race theory, the tenets of critical race theory are alive and well in the public school. Yes. And we were hearing it from teachers. We were hearing mm-hmm. it from parents. I can't tell you the number of teachers that called up my office when we were working on this bill. I didn't hear from one teacher in the public schools, of course, because they'd be embarrassed to, yeah. to call and say, we want to teach critical race theory. Right. Don't pass your bill. Didn't happen. Right. But I'll tell you the number of teachers that called. So I got a call from Barbara Car- Cargill. She was the former chair of the State Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And she said, wow, we just I just got a call from a group of teachers in Trent Ashby's district. And they said, we are all, there was 13 teachers, and they said, we are going to quit if they force us to teach critical race theory and Black Lives Matter yeah. in the classroom. And, I mean, it is just, teachers have been in the crosshairs for the last few years now. Yep. And we're losing more and more teachers. They're quitting because they do not want to be involved in this state-sponsored racism and that's exactly what it is that's that's right i mean i got it i i saw this coming a little bit i i was i don't want to say fortunate enough Uh, one of the only f i ever got in my master's degree the only the only f i ever got in my master's degree was my i had to do a book review on ibrahim x kendi's uh stamp from the beginning 
I got uh, 65 on that. So I just read <laughs> How to Become an Anti-Racist. Yeah. And I started reading it. Then I'm like, how do, I didn't know how to take some of the statements because you, you couldn't hear. You couldn't, you couldn't pick up. You can't pick up the emotion right. from the words, right? Mm-hmm. And so I got an audio. I got the audio version. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Yeah. The hatred, the the bitterness, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 poison. And it's he's, just absolutely poisonous. And I and I've read three or four books now by CRT people, mm-hmm. and all of them point to things from the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. is to substantiate the present. Right. Well, those are all things that aren't are are now illegal right. in our culture that we stopped out. Or it, it becomes just absurd, like um, Sir Isaac Newton. Um, wrote a whole, you know, dissertation. It was called the Treaties on Optics. I think it was in, uh, gosh, I want to say 1603. Okay, and Kendi in his book says that that was racist. Isaac Newton was racist because he invented the color wheel. And in the middle of the color wheel, you have you know whiteness, and then it gets darker as you go further out uh, on the color wheel. And I'm like. This was this was in my review that I got an F on. I was like, "That's not racist. That's physics. That I mean, if you put light through a prism, that's what you're going to get. What are you talking about?" Um, but they didn't like to hear that. So, yeah, I mean, Kendi finds racism in everything, right? And he is a good CRT man. I mean, it, it, he he is he's living it, it to the umph degree, which is you look critically at race and you must critically find. Racism in all things. Well, the problem here, though, is we don't teach logic anymore in school Correct. either. And if we did, and kids learned logic, they would they would recognize immediately the truth of this statement. If everything is racist, then nothing is racist. Correct. Correct. So and, and, you know, even even things like music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bach, Beethoven, it is all white privilege music, right? And it's racist. Well, if that's the case, you why is Japan? Japan has more symphony orchestras mm-hmm. than the United States does as a percentage of population, right? Yeah. Well, why? Right. Are, don't the Japanese know how racist this music is? <laughs> yeah, it's it's absurd. And you know, there are really good books that address why you know European. Uh, populations had this sort of power as time evolved uh a a great book would be guns germs and steel by jared diamond and he dresses a lot of these issues and he does so with a level head and you know it's because you know they had access to farming during the agricultural revolution uh it was along the same latitude as you know mesopotamia where where all this came from the fertile crescent and then they inherited all of this Stuff and it, it, you know, Jared Diamond's argument is that why are white people the ones that you know have this power structure as you know the timeline unfolds? And the answer is simple: geographic dumb luck. You know, it has nothing to do with a person's intelligence, says Diamond, which I one hundred percent agree with. You know, getting back to our discussion about natural law, you know, what makes mankind equal? It's that. You and I and everybody else, all 7.5 billion people on earth right now, we all have a right to life. We all have a right to liberty. We all have a right to property and safety and happiness and security and all of those things that go into it. That's what makes us equal is our equal rights. Right. You know, my bank account doesn't need to be the same uh, level as yours. I mean, I'm a teacher. I don't make any money anyway, so... But that was what you chose to do. <laughs> right. But I'm happy doing it. And that's the point. I have the liberty to, to make that. But you know. how it's being conflated today, there, there is, there is um, opportunity. Yes. And um, there's gifting. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I look at this ad um, that's put out by New Hampshire University, mm-hmm. which states, because we're all equally gifted, but we don't have equal opportunity. That's the tagline of it. Because we are all equally gifted, but we don't all have the equal opportunity. What total crap. (laughs) That is not true. I am not as talented as LeBron James. You know, I can't play NBA basketball. I wish I could, but, 
you know, and no, I can't hit the ball as far as Jack Nicklaus could. Right. But I mean, or Tiger Woods, right? right. Uh-huh. But I, I still have the opportunity to play golf if I want to. Right. And suck at it. Right. Yeah. But, um, no, we don't all have all equal gifting. And I look at, you know, I've had the opportunity to sit down with some of the greatest minds, business minds in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in awe of yeah. listening to these individuals. Sure. Um, they have a talent that I don't have. Sure. You know, um, but I still have the same opportunity mm-hmm. that they do. And yet we're conflating it and we're putting this garbage in the heads of our kids to believe that, man, I'm not getting ahead. I'm every bit as talented as that guy is because we're all talented equally. That's what we're teaching kids today. Right. But that guy's getting ahead and I'm not. Why is that? I'm getting screwed. Yeah. No, you're not. The, 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 the solution to all of these problems is in understanding natural law itself, you know, and if we could teach that again in the public uh, school uh, setting to the majority of Americans, that would get us out. That, you want to end our racist problem, our problem with race in America? You want to end our, our other issues? Follow natural law. If every, like, w- when you do not follow natural law, what you're going to get is human misery. That's the that's always the result. And so if we just simply went back to that, not that we can follow it perfectly, we're sinful human beings, we're fallen in nature, but that's still the benchmark, that's still the goal. And when that becomes your norm, that's when you have a prosperous society. Right. But of course, we don't want to have a prosperous society. We want to tear everything down. Yeah. That's left. Um, you had mentioned uh, last night during your... Uh, um, debate um that you were interested in pursuing um sort of a so- similar critical race theory bill that you got done last session uh but uh looking at it in the college level you want to talk about that yeah brandon and i are still kicking some ideas around with that and so i don't know where we're going to go with it mm-hmm. or what we're going to do with it but we we want to pursue that we also want to pursue a parent portal yeah for for kids so that right now um, we wanted to do this in the third special session mm-hmm. and there was just a lot of pushback from teachers over it, which was, we just want to let parents know what's going on in the classroom, right. which is not too much to ask. No, they pay all. the taxes. They employ you. They're there. They're, um, those children belong to them, not you. Right. That's right. It's their responsibility at the end of the day for how that child turns out when they're an I, adult. I don't even get that. Like as a teacher, you know, I, I've created hundreds of lessons plans over the years. I well, would never this, have a problem with somebody looking to see what, what, you know, what are you got planned for this week? This is, this is Marxism, right? The children don't belong to you. They belong to the state. That's right. Right. And so what, one of the things that we found out was that most school districts require teachers to have a portal where mm-hmm. that they put their curriculum, that they put their syllabus that lists all the things that the kids are going to be exposed to so that a curriculum coach right. or a principal can oversee it. Mm-hmm. So this is an exercise that they're doing anyways. And it's all we're asking. And this is what we're going to do in the 88th legislative session. We're simply going to say, if this already exists, then mom and dad deserve a username and a password. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. You mentioned something that I hadn't heard before uh, in your debate at the Montgomery County Eagle Forum uh, last night, and it was a social, environmental, and governance score. SCG, yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, this I is mean, crazy. this is this is amazing, and this exists. Yeah, it's going on right now, and this is one of these things where um, you'd say ten years ago, no freaking way. Right. So companies and individuals. Companies are being scored right now. Chase is doing this mm-hmm. on social, environmental, and governance. So social, um, do you have equity training in your, do you have an equity program in your company? Mm-hmm. Um, social, emotional, learning, BS. Right. Um, <clears throat> do you have an equity, um, a chief equity officer in your company? Um are all your people vaxxed? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a big Do you have a big carbon footprint? I have a huge carbon footprint. None of my employees are vaxxed. Um, I don't have an <laughs> equity program. Can I get Can I get a loan? No, sucks <laughs> to be you. 
<laughs> no, I mean, that's the, that's the way right. it works. You get a score, and if your score isn't high enough, you don't have access to capital. And that's where we're going. And, you know, it's wild. I mean, this is, this is the end times. So, wait. I thought Chase was in business to make money. Evidently not. You know, you would think, right? right. And So, it, just, it is mind-boggling to me, this, uh, the social, environmental, and governance score idea. It sounds so much. I was just reminded of, like, the, you know, the social score, whatever they call it, in China. You know, well, it came from China. Yeah, this came from China. This is this is modern day China. This is what China is doing, and if you do not have a high enough SEG score in China, you can't get a job. Mm-hmm. So they've they've distilled it right down to the individual in China. It is getting scary out there, and to make matters worse, uh, I don't know if you read or not. There's a, a this came out I think two days ago. Uh, I, I'm going to switch gears here and go into what I'm going to refer to as medical tyranny. Um, there's a recent Rasmussen poll that came out, I think two days ago. Um, let me get the notes here. This was scary talking about just, you know, COVID policy. Um, the, in the poll, there was 1,016 people that were likely voters that took part in this poll. And the findings were significant here. Um, of Democrats are in favor of federal and state government's ability to fine citizens who don't get the vaccine. 59% of Democrats are in favor of people who are unvaccinated to be under house arrest. You're not allowed to leave your home unless there's an emergency or something. 48% of Democrats are in favor uh, for fines or jail time for anyone who publicly questions the efficacy of the vaccine on social media radio or TV or other public platforms. So if I sit here and say, you know, I don't think the vaccine's working on my podcast, you know, I should get jail time. Uh, and the worst one here, this is, this blew my mind. This is crazy. 45% of Democrats are in favor of requiring citizens to live at government facilities if they don't get the vaccine. If they don't get the jab off to a camp, you go. Do you have any- Yeah, it's Australia. It's insane. I mean, what is, what is, what on earth is happening? I feel like I fell asleep and woke up and, you know, I'm living in, you know, uh, communist Russia or something, you know, you know, it's, I just could not believe that. This Um, is, and so here's a crazy thing too. mm -hmm. Pfizer and Moderna last week came out and said, it's about a week and a half ago, they came out and said, the, the new vaccine that will combat Omicron will be out at the end of the second quarter, mm-hmm. just in time for their, you know. Right. Just in time for them to announce how their stock's doing. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah, we're admitting that this is all about money. Yeah, no big deal, right? But here's what's crazy. They're even admitting that their vaccine is useless. Mm-hmm completely useless careful they're gonna send you to jail sucks to be me i don't care so they're they're admitting though that it doesn't work against omicron and that omicron is like nine or nine or nine out of ten cases now and yet they're still mandating that we get this i don't and you can't and you can't publicly state the painfully obvious that even pfizer and moderna are admitting right i don't i don't know i got you know, as you know, we were chatting uh, over Christmas. I got COVID, and uh, you know, full disclosure, everybody. I'm a social studies teacher. I'm not a doctor. I am not qualified to get medical advice. Statement yeah. said, I got the monoclonal infusion when I when I came down with COVID. I had that worst headache I've ever had in my life. You know, I was achy. I was waiting in line in the in the car. Uh, uh, you walk in there, they put the stuff in a bag. They put hook you up to an IV. And you have to sit there for an hour and a half. I walked out of that. My headache was at 100%, you know, when I walked in. It was down to like 15% when I walked out an hour and a half later. And I was better and on my feet. I felt fine in like three days. That's my personal experience. Yeah. Yep, 24 to 36 hours. And that's that's just really typical. And we've had nearly 8,000 people that have gone through the monoclonal infusion center in Mm -hmm. Montgomery County in September when... The Biden administration shut us down. Mm-hmm. We we're still in special. Yeah. And so Cecil and I and Tom Oliverson, we worked really hard at 
reappropriating money so that Texas could buy their own monoclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. And so we were back up to snuff again, um, operating 180 cases a day in Montgomery County, still hearing great things about it. And then in, uh, and then in December, the Biden administration cuts us off again. Yep. I, in fact, there's no shortage of it. I, I go, I was, I was one of the last ones in Montgomery County to get it because they shut it down. Yeah. Um, that was Christmas Eve uh, that I got that. Yep. And then boom, it was done. So nuts. Um, let's move on to, uh, voter integrity, uh, and specifically the 2020 election. Um, I know that's, uh, something that you were kind of pushing for, uh, in the, I think it was the third special session. You were- we had plenty of evidence that going all the way back to 2018 mm-hmm. that, there was voter fraud in Dallas County. Right. And the primary of 2018 in Dallas County was kind of the dry run for them. Right. To see if this would work in 20. And it was successful. <clears throat> we um, found tons of fraud. Um, but the frustrating thing is that it's too difficult to do a forensic audit. Yeah. And you, in fact, you really can't do one statewide. There's no way to do a statewide forensic audit. And so we created legislation so that you could pull it off. The problem, though, Scott, is that you've got to get it done within two years, 24 right. months of the mm-hmm. election because the, the records retention policy is just two years. Yeah. And so after two years, all the mail-in ballots, all the absentee ballots. Um, it all just goes away. Just goes away. Yep. And so if we do not get this done in the next few months, we will have lost a huge opportunity. And the problem that's, that I just really struggle with, look, I'm thankful that the governor... He's done something. Mm-hmm. He agreed to a risk-limiting audit in four counties. And in just four counties, they found 11,000 people that voted that shouldn't have voted. That's Arizona. <clears throat> That's Georgia right there. Right. You know? But mm-hmm. if you if you were... And so we... You know... W- the official rule, results is that Trump won by 600,000 votes. Mm-hmm. If you extrapolate what that would have been for all 254 counties. And mm-hmm. then on top of it, you then do a forensic audit and you start looking at all the absentee ballots, fraudulent yeah. absentee ballots on top of it. I think Trump won by like one, more like 1.8 million yeah. in, in Texas. If you just look at the dat, raw data, and I'm not the only one that believes that. Seth Keschel has said the same thing, who's done a lot of analytics on Texas and mm-hmm. some of the anomalies that have happened in the state. There's no way that that Hispanics go from uh, go up in supporting Trump by 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump won Democrat counties that had never been won before. Yeah. And yet his margin of victory went down. I mean, it's just, there's no possible way. Right. There's just no way. And, you know, to prove what you're saying is correct, um, you know, I was a, a, a delegate to the state convention. Right. Um, you know, and this this happened in August of 2020. You know, our legislative priorities, our number one legislative priority out of that body was voter integrity. Right. Did we have a crystal ball? Did we, we were that far ahead. Every, you know, Republican in Texas thought that that was a good idea because we're just that clever and smart. No, we knew what happened in Dallas in 2018. That's why that was our legislative priority, our number one. And then, of course, 2020 happened and look what happened. You know, and you don't have to believe in, you know me or Steve, you know, or, you know, that some of the quote conspiracy theories that are behind this, it flat out was illegal. I have printed off here the, uh, uh, constitution of Pennsylvania, um, section 14 absentee voting. The legislature shall by general law provide a manner in which the, and the time and place at which qualified electors who may on the occurrence of any election be absent from the municipality of the residence because of their duties, occupation, or business require them to be elsewhere or who on the occurrence of any election are unable to attend the proper polling place because of illness or physical disability. And it goes on from there. My point is this. In Pennsylvania, for instance, for instance, those are the only reasons that you can yeah, but, to get a... a but above and beyond that, though, Pennsylvania's Constitution states very clearly, and this is Article 1, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. That the states and the legislature will define how voting time, place, method will right. take place, right? That's, that's correct. Well, the, te- the Pennsylvania Constitution goes a step further and says that as it pertains to that, it has to be done through a constitutional amendment. You have to amend the the 
the you have to actually amend the mm -hmm. Constitution of Pennsylvania. Right. Did they do that? Nope. No, they did not do it. That's my point exactly. Which means that all these all these decisions happened by fiat. Right. They didn't have the authority to do that. Right. And then when you went to sue in the Supreme Court of Tech, uh, I'm sorry, not Texas, SCOTUS. When, well, no, or, Pennsylvania. But, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Supreme right. Court. When you exactly mm -hmm. the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, they said no standing. Right. Or, or before that, they then said, "Well, you haven't been harmed yet." Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, but it's going to happen. Right. You, you haven't been harmed yet. Yeah, but they put this in place. It's going to be done. It's it's prescriptive that that they're doing something that's illegal, and the court still would not let us have standing. So, my question then to you as a, uh, a person who's running for re-election for the legislature, you have that, you have that responsibility, as you noted. Um, are you willing to stand up and take control of our electoral college if something like that were to occur in Texas? So one of the things that happened in 22 is, is that, or 20 also, mm -hmm. is that if you'll recall, Harris County instituted drive-through voting. Yes. There's no such thing as drive-through voting. No. There's curbside voting. There's no such thing as drive-through voting. Right. Um, we treat the curbside voting the same way we treat the voting booth, mm -hmm. which is there's sanctity to that. There's privacy to that. Yeah. You're not allowed to hand a tablet, voting tablet, into a bus full of people. Right. And, and say, free for all, go ahead and vote. Yeah. Meanwhile, that, it's a bus full of elderly people and they're being coached on how to vote. It's yeah. illegal. Right. It is not legal. And yet Harris County did it anyways. And so I, along with a group of people, sued Harris County. Mm -hmm. And um, I got doxxed. Uh, they put my phone number, my cell phone number, which a lot of, you know, all my constituents have it anyways, but no, it wasn't on the nightly news. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, you know, Babette will tell you that for the better part of two weeks, we're getting calls from all over the world. Of people just calling me and telling me what an awful person I am, right? And and um, the, but here's where the thing was successful. On Friday, which was the last day of early voting, mm -hmm. um, the judge in Harris County ruled that we don't have standing. But what he said was, he said, if if the plaintiffs did have standing, I would find in their favor. Therefore. It would be wise on Harris County's part to do away with this mm. so that they basically won't have something to stand on right. for an appeal. And so what ended up happening is Harris County ended up shutting nine of those 10 sites down, which I'm thankful for because, you know, nine of those 10 drive-through voting places were, were closed um, on election day. I'd love to be, you know, a starry-eyed optimist and think that, well, you know, as this red wave in 2022 that we think is going to happen, uh, maybe Harris County will, you know, wash away and we'll install a whole bunch of conservative Republicans back in there to, you know, fix everything. In a... That's probably not going to happen. It, it isn't, but you know what's interesting is Gallup a year ago said that 57% of people in the United States claim to be Democrats. 48% said they were Republicans. Mm -hmm. um, is that right? Yeah, 57, 48, or something like, something like that, those numbers. And it's, um, I'm probably off a little bit. But it's, it's flipped. In one year, it's flipped. And mm -hmm. Republicans are like 55%, and, 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 and Democrats are down around 45%. So it's... There's been a huge, sure. huge shift in the numbers. While that's great, <clears throat> what my point here that I'm trying to get at is that it by the next presidential election, it doesn't appear to me like, you know, Harris County's going to be, basically still be able to pull some of the shenanigans and everything like that. Right. What's your plan to address? Uh, you well, know, and here's the like problem that? is that we can't. I, every one of these members of the Criminal Court of Appeals of Texas should be voted out of office. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. The, the very idea that we're not going to allow when blatant fraud or fraud occurs and a DA refuses to prosecute it. Mm -hmm. They tied the hands of the Attorney General and said, you can't prosecute it. Separation of powers. That's yeah. garbage. 
a law has been a law has been violated. It's been broken, and it's the most basic tenet of our culture, of our society, yeah. of our of our free nation that we we have honest voting, and we're not going to prosecute bad people that are are committing fraud. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. I I honestly don't know what we're going to do. I mean, you know, I, I've got an idea that that you'll let adjacent district attorneys mm-hmm. prosecute. Yeah, I love that idea. <clears throat> but um, here's the problem with that, Scott. Though, mm-hmm. is that Let's say Kim Ogden says, well, can't have that happen. So what we'll do is we're going to go ahead and we're going to bring charges against this guy and then, and then dismiss them with prejudice. Well, okay. Now you've got a situation where it would be, it would be double jeopardy. Yeah. That's a, it's a tough nut to crack, but we have to do something yeah. in order to save our Republic. And yep. this is not just a Texas issue. This is an issue nationwide. And it's of course why the Biden administration uh, and the Democrats in the Senate are pushing so hard. And like, I can't, I can't believe, I mean, thank God for Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema oh for gosh. St- standing up for, I know. you know, the filibuster and making sure that, you know, this unconstitutional bill just doesn't sail its way through, you know? Uh, so God bless them. Um, we are almost out of time, but real quick, I think probably the last thing that I really like to touch with, uh, base with you on, and I know you have a great idea about this, is our our border crisis, and particularly our uh, what to do with our veterans that are returning, and how we can use them uh, to secure our border. Yeah, so it's a great question. So we're losing twenty two veterans a day to suicide, mm-hmm. and the problem is, is that when you're you're coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan. As soon as you jump off the plane, you lose your sense of mission, your sense of purpose. You lose unit cohesion, mm-hmm. that sense of camaraderie with other people that you love, that loved you, and that fought alongside you. Yeah. But you also lose your job. Right. You experience a little depression. You go to the VA and they put you on psychotropic medications, yeah. and um, that's where the real problems begin. In fact, right. the veterans they get treated by the VA with psychotropic meds have a 50% higher suicide rate than those that just get diagnosed but not treated. Right. It's a terrible thing. Well, why don't we take these guys, give them the opportunity mm-hmm. to go down to the border, put right. them down on the border for three weeks where they'll still know a sense of mission, purpose, you know, cohesion, and then let them go home a week. Mm-hmm. And during that time, they're learning how to get reintegrated to normal to civilian life, yeah. right? They're they're home for a week. They're they're back on the border for three weeks. We do this rotation, and then let's tell the federal government basically we don't give a rat's behind. We're being invaded right now, mm-hmm. and we're going to close the border. If you come across the river, we're going to send you back across the river. That's right. Period. End of story. And if we did that, Mexico would take care of the problem right away because they wouldn't let them through their southern border. That's right. Mexico has a great Southern border Mm -hmm. and they would close it. Yep. That's an excellent idea. I really like that idea. Um, so real quick, uh, I know that you are are, again, are running for reelection in house district 15. Uh, did you want to have a a moment to, uh, explain why it's a great idea to vote for Steve Dove? (laughs) You know, I, I can only say it one way. Promises made promises kept. Um, I, I promise that, I would stop critical race theory, and and I did it. I promised that I'd work hard to preserve and defend life, and I did it. When we went into session and the Democrats were talking about defunding the police, we created legislation to stop them from Mm -hmm. defunding the police. When Kim Ogg started allowing people out of jail and refusing to prosecute violent felons, we we changed we did bail reform in Texas not the way the left has done it right but the right way which is to force the hand of these magistrates liberal magistrates to start prosecuting mm-hmm. violent felons so we had a great session and um, but here's the thing there's still so much that needs to be done there's mm-hmm. so much that needs to be done I'm committed to it want to do it and I'd love to have your support yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, it's great to have you. Yeah, I've good to really be with you. Enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll have to have you back on again some other time. Love to. All right. Uh, Steve Toth, House District 15. Uh, he's running for re-election. Uh, early voting starts on um, February 14th. 14th. That's right. Um, all right. Well, thanks again. Uh, we'd like to thank the Dockline Studios for hosting us once again. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, at our next episode. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>